Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. Today's guest is Susie Lau, whose alter ego, Susie Bubble, has dominated the fashion landscape since she launched her blog in the early 2000s. The platforms may have changed. At the moment, it's Instagram, and tomorrow it might be TikTok. But Susie remains a formidable and contemporary voice in fashion, sharing everything with her legions of social media fans along the way. She joined me on the podcast to talk about life on the inside track of the fashion industry, as well as the things she would put into her cabinet at 5 Carlos Place. Hi Susie. Hello. (laughs) How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Winding down before Christmas. I like this period of time. The lull sets in. Yeah. Um, No, you know what? This is such a nice time of year because everyone is really um, just jolly and festive until the actual day comes and then and then it all falls apart yeah so it's like mid-december that we're recording have you had a busy year i have had a manic year i've had a year where i've barely been in london been traveling everywhere it's literally been the year of um fashion traveling everywhere and anywhere all the time that's um Yeah, actually, in fact, I I remember Bruno Pavlovsky from Chanel saying, as a brand, you have to be everywhere all the time, which is kind of frightening for people like myself who kind of have to go along, well, somewhat go along with the on the ride for most of it. What's been the highlight of 2019 for you? It's been the highlight. Oh, so many, so many visual highlights. I want to say maybe what was up there Jacques Rousseau down in Provence that was pretty that was pretty special um so it was a it was a show he staged it was outdoors it was, was it? it was staged in a lavender field in um Haute Provence and it was just such a um, it was a simple idea but executed so well and um actually kind of summed up you know when something's when fashion does travel and is done well it doesn't need to be like a big massive production or you don't need to have like all these bells and whistles it can be something just well it's kind of in nature yeah in situ models going up and down <laughs> at lavender field do you know him jacques jacques is it simon do you call yeah, him yeah simon jacques yes i've in fact i i wrote about his collections on my blog like 10 i want to say 10 years ago because he celebrated his 10 year anniversary this year which makes me feel incredibly old because i still think of him as a young designer but he's not so much a no in fact he's quite established and he's doing incredibly well so yeah, I thought that was a highlight. There were so many, I don't know, show-wise, but also, I guess, per- personal highlights. 
seeing seeing my little one grow up. That, that's always Aww. that's just an ongoing is highlight. A, a girl or a boy? A girl. Yep. Little little Nico. How old is she now? She's nearly three. Nico, nearly Nico. three. Oh. Yes. So you, did you do take her with you to any... She's preschool at the moment. She's so preschool, but I do try and take her around with me when possible and when uh, brands are obliging. Thank you, Gucci. <laughs> they, yeah, sometimes she, she... So she has been with me on some of, like, the cruise shows um, uh, and in Art Basel and for Hong Kong and Shanghai Fashion Week. So, yeah, a few few times this year. So you, you write about fashion um, and you do lots of other things as well, consulting with brands and... I do. Um, give me a bit of a flavour of all the different kind of things God, what have I do. done this, this year? I've written a book for... Diesel that came out with Rizzoli that came out recently. It was about its uh, denim archives. I um, uh, wrote up the Chanel show for Metier d'Art just recently. Um, do quite a bit of press release work um, for young designers like Asai. It's one of my favorite London designers. So yeah it kind of spans all sorts really yeah i'm not um, maybe yeah people might think of me as a um bit of a hybrid somewhat and then, then i'm still writing obviously for magazines like 10 and pop so yeah it in the writing like realm but extended with other things as well on top of that as as most people are these days exactly i was going to say it feels like a modern way to work yeah i'm a slasher but mm, yeah not in the model slash, slash actress slash mainly in the <laughs> writing realm now I explained to you the concept for this podcast and I, I asked you to imagine your cabinet at five car lost place mm. so what's the first thing you're going to put in there so the first thing I'm going to put in it's not one thing really it's um so i've lived in london all my life but my parents are from hong kong um so it's really like more like a set of rituals that i do when i go there because i'm not from there well my parents are from there but i've never lived there um and it's like things like um certain food spots that I go to like a walk along Hollywood Road which is in the old kind of central area in Hong Kong certain smells it's like a collective um, thing or like going to my grandma's grave doing the whole sort of grave sweeping ritual I think it's about rituals because it's, it's sort of like a, um, a place that is where my roots are but it's strange to me because I never lived there so it's when I go there and then I go through this set of rituals to almost kind of root myself to the place um, and it, yeah it's it, it's really like a, a, a kind of list of things so it's like roast goose at this certain place that I, I, I love it's really super OG and it's like crowded and it's like the smell it's like the traffic um, when you uh, on a pedestrian you like cross the road there's like this click 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 sound um, 
it's taking the MTR rush hour, it's crossing Star Ferry, it's doing Dragon's Back Hike, which is this beautiful hike on the south side of the Hong Kong Island. So it's a list of things, and if that could all go in the cabinet, that would be amazing. can definitely accommodate that in some way. <laughs> also, actually, you talking about Hong Kong, you've just reminded me that when um, Tommy Ton appeared on this podcast... Oh, yeah, my friend. Lovely Tommy, yeah. He also talked about Hong Kong, and mm. the thing that he mentioned specifically were the flats um, that people live in, sort of high-rise that are pastel colours. Yeah. Does that ring a bell? I'm trying to think of... Uh, there was a photographer that passed away this year, actually. I've forgotten his name, but he did some incredible photography of the high-rises in, in Hong Kong, and they are, like, these really amazing colours, but obviously it's it's sort of like a photograph of, of cramped, super cramped living, you know, in Hong Kong, this space is at a premium. Um, there are these living situations called like coffin boxes where people are literally like, just, you know, all they have is this space to lie down in and they have barely any room to move. And yeah, so it is that, kind of thing that I yeah I am super drawn to and that it's not the kind of glitzy side of Hong Kong it's um, and also my family are more on the kind of let's say the grittier side and Kowloon and Mong Kok and um, uh, you know just it's like the smells the the noises and the the the, the, the chit chat in Cantonese and the, I speak Cantonese so it's kind of everything but then it's it's more very fleeting because I I'm never there for that long so and uh, this year in particular extra poignant obviously because um, the protests that have been going on and I've been obviously following it from afar and I um, you know it, it, I'm kind of almost I feel very on the fence about it because on the one hand I I'm not involved in it um, but on the other hand I, I sympathise a lot and I, I have kind of lent social media support much to <laughs> the backlash of um, um, people from mainland China you know there is this slight conflict that I have um, but it yeah you know to see Hong Kong so politically active is I don't know is also gratifying in a in a way you know I've always thought of Hong Kong as a quite politically apathetic type of place and to see this swell of momentum even if what they're fighting for is somewhat futile um yeah it's been really kind of emotional actually when I was especially in the summer when it was at the height of it and I, I did think about Hong Kong a lot and I haven't been back since Art Basel and the next time I'll be there is in Art Basel and I'll probably extend a little bit longer in next next year in March just to spend more time with family and friends and yeah go through those rituals I guess so your parents are emigrated here from yep. Hong Kong when was that my well my grandparents actually came here just after the war and then my parents they were living in Hong Kong at the time and then they kind of one by one them and their siblings kind of came all throughout the 60s and 70s and my parents actually met at Heathrow Airport because <laughs> their parents knew each other and they kind of set up a sort of airport pickup situation. <laughs> that's like Richard Curtis film. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a little bit um, like the ending of Love, actually. Yeah. 
Um, so you grew up in London, North London, is it? I grew up in Camden, then my parents kind of moved around, but mainly North London, North West, Wilsdon Green. Uh, then they ended up in Barnet. So, yeah, kind of grew up all over North London, really. I'm a, yeah, not not familiar with South of the River. <laughs> <laughs> you always seem to have very strong opinions and viewpoints when you're writing and when you're discussing things and I was wondering mm. what your what in your upbringing made you have, so, have be so opinionated um I did go to a very liberally minded girl school in 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 Hampstead and it it did it was the kind of place that kind of really encouraged independent thought um expression of your opinion I mean there was like things like the socialist society and uh, people fighting like to wear like these kind of trousers because they thought skirts were like an affront to their you know to their, their um their sense of self and just things like that have always yeah kind of ran through my teenage years really and I think I don't know maybe growing up in London you are a little bit kind of bullshy. I don't know. I, I but I am also sometimes innately reserved and and shy in my own moments. And but then there are other things, especially when writing and you're not you're not speaking out like like I'm talking to you. Writing gives you this almost like this. Um, security blanket so that you can really like vent and rant from behind a computer screen or Instagram or iPhone and um, and if I feel strongly about something I I kind of almost need to get it out in the old days when I when I had the blog when I felt really strongly about something I used to like just have to get it down and, and draft it and do it immediately if, even if it was like 3 a.m. in the morning so, yeah, for sure it was my upbringing in, in, in that particular school, but um, I don't know. I think I am one of those loud, quiet people, like quiet in some instances, but then loud when I want to be. But not, I'm not sure I'm a in-your-face kind of person. If, especially if you meet me. <laughs> Can you remember when you became interested in fashion? Was that at school? Um, not so much at school. You know, fashion was this thing that kind of grew very, um, sort of seeped in very gradually. I was into personal style more because by virtue of growing up in Camden, I got into vintage super early. I was like, you know, tie-dyeing my own things and cutting up things when I was like was this, 13. Are you talking about the 90s? No, 13, 14, so like maybe late, late 90s, yeah. So as soon as I could buy my own things, basically. And then when in sixth form, when you had free reign, it was like, I, I went through all kinds of phases, like a little kind of goth phase, indie and um, Harajuku-y because I was getting into, I was going back to Hong Kong more often and then picking up like Fruits magazine and which is a Japanese street style magazine. So yeah, a lot of that was, it was really more about personal style than fashion, fashion. Um, Can you remember when that moment shifted when you came out of the bubble of being inward looking in, at school to it becoming more about an interest in fashion as a 
an outward looking thing well that came from really kind of magazines and picking up you know first like the vogues and the l's and the teen mags and then like upgrading almost to dazed id and the face which was still going on when when i was at school so yeah i would say like dazed id and face probably were my kind of triptych of of fashion well fashion as i thought was at its most inspiring and that kind of went uh as soon as i was at uni and i was working more i could like actually afford um ucl you went to i went to ucl i did history um which is like a very um it was like a get out cause of a subject like because i didn't know what i wanted to do so i just thought okay i'll just pick the most general thing with the most open-ended outcome um not knowing what i wanted to do so i could just basically spend three years exploring that and then all throughout the three years basically fashion was like this secret interest that i had didn't really talk to people in my course about it but they knew about it because they could see it on me um i worked like three different part-time jobs to like you know buy clothes i was yeah rabid about um yeah fashion then and then i was on this forum called the fashion spot which i believe still exists and it was like this nascent period of um self-publishing online and it was the beginning of like putting yourself out there but in a very kind of lo-fi sort of way so you know my people were putting out music on myspace people were also like doing like outfit of the day but in a in this really clunky kind of forum um um format so yeah that was that was when i was like really geeking out and um found lots of like-minded people on 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 the internet um what's the next thing we're going to put into your cabinet the next thing we're going to put in is um a fragonard painting it is i believe it's just is it the swing yeah the swing it's just called the swing um so it is um a kind of very rococo 18th century image just sums I don't know it just sums up all the things that I'm really really into and uh, it sits in the Wallace collection which I also love actually could put the whole Wallace Wallace collection in 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 the cabinet as well but this particular painting just um it's sort of a yeah like a a fan um this fantasy scenario of a girl in this pink frothy dress and then sitting in this kind of mist almost like mystical kind of garden and all these beautiful green hues and and anytime there is a a fragonard or rococo reference or inspiration in a collection like my heart immediately goes you know swells so you know all those john galliano collections i'm sure he's looked at that a million times um vivian westwood anytime um, I think Raph for Dior also did did a sort of Fragonardi type thing. Anytime there's a sort of um, 18th century Rococo thing going on, yeah, I get quite 
passionate <laughs> about that. Have uh, you spoken to Manolo Blahnik about it? I think he's really interested in that painting. Yes, and the exhibition that he... Uh, is it over, finished? It, 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 was, it was on at the Was Collection. It, it, all of that, Manolo is obviously in always into that kind of very low-heel, um, 18th-century mule slipper thing, which I also love. Yeah, so it is a bit sort of, um, bit, I am basic bitch Marie Antoinette <laughs> <laughs> fantasist. I suppose the way you dress now is quite maximalist and opulent in that Marie Antoinette way, maybe a modern version of it, now that you mention it. But a different, yeah, obviously not wearing a, um, a mantua sideways pannier <laughs> dress. I don't Although know. I, I would, pull that off. I would, I would love to if, if, yeah, if opportunity arises to wear a, a really contemporary version of it. And that's why I loved Medium Kirchhoff when they did that. Um, I think it was Spring Summer 12 collection and it had all those kind of colours, those brocades and pastel pinks and um, blues, powder blues, all all of those that kind of palette uh, from uh, from this Fragonard painting is it's basically just right up my street. And yes, it is connected to this kind of maximalist way of dressing. And I am always the person that goes for let's say the show pieces. <laughs> um, I've always joked with um, people who work at the buying side in fashion how crap of a buyer I would be because I'd be buying all the things that would never actually sell and I'd just be buying it for myself. <laughs> yeah, basically not the commercial pieces. You launched your blog in 2006, Style Bubble, mm -hmm. and it was one of those fashion blogs that became, well, that was it was probably one of the most prolific of the fashion blogs when that moment was yeah. happening. Do you remember, I'm interested in the tension that created with magazines, which mm. at the time still were pretty established. You know, it's such a funny trajectory, that tension, and, it is, and it's somehow still ongoing, actually, I would say. Really? Even, um, even though, you know, digital entities, influencers, they're so part of our fashion established landscape. I think there is still this, and from the beginning there was this um, almost uh, print versus digital narrative that print media actually weirdly, you know, set up themselves and, and, um, and, and almost wrote about it prolifically because it got them traffic as well. You know, I think people love reading about spats and, and conflict. And um, with me, you know, I just always maybe sometimes in person got the feeling that editors did have this snobbishness towards people that were self-publishing because they felt like maybe they hadn't put in the hours, they hadn't put in the, the time to go through the hierarchy. And then when I worked for a magazine, I did work for days for a few years as editor of the website, then I somehow got clawed some respect from the industry and and this is kind of how respect is framed you know I think in in fashion even though it's a, it's that this industry that like promotes the new and 
and and and is excited about new things happening all the time it's weirdly also very hierarchical and it does like to cling on to establishment um codes establishment figures you know think about the photographers and the stylists that've been in this industry for a really long time their position is quite like entrenched and and people who are almost like interlopers or um outsiders coming into that can feel like a bit of a threat um and i think it takes you do need to almost earn your stripes in this industry to to so i often now get people saying oh but you're different or or you're oh but you're not an influence you know and but the underneath that the, the the subtext is that there is almost still this kind of sneering tone which i kind of despise because at the end of the day how i see the media industry is we're all in the fashion media industry is we're all in the business of selling stuff whether you're an editor in a magazine or whether you're um an influencer with a million instagram followers whether you're a stylist whether you're a photographer you know you might think that your work is more worthy but at the end of the day the goal especially if you're working in a co- commercial sense which which you know fashion is there is a lot of commerce you know it's 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 a business at the end of the day um we all share that goal and i'm not yeah i'm not in favor of looking down on people without knowing exact you know the remit of their work i think it's like important to just have an open mind and 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 look at the fashion landscape and this is how this is how people are consuming um information about fashion and and you you have to adapt to that and that's not to say like you know i have a huge amount of respect for print media and i see i i i i did go through that world as well and i still do work in that world um i just think it's important to look at it as a whole yeah. as a bigger picture and uh, as something that um you can benefit from as well which um pr- people have you know they have also taken away a, a lot of how digital entities work and like funneled it back into the way they work and and now it's much more of a fluid thing where a print editor could also be an influencer in their own right and i i just think like marking out territories and saying okay this is what i do and 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 i'm print only is quite limiting i think today would you say that there's been a shift and that the power now lies with these um digital influencers especially if you think about instagram um and the street style phenomenon which it's not about no I, I actually don't think the the power shifted that much you know if you think about like the editors and chiefs that matter it's the edward ellenfalls it's you know it's the anna winters it's um 
it's the you know they're still they're still like pretty much at the top of their game and and photographer wise as well you know it's the Paolo reverse you know it's it has always been thus and what you're seeing is just you're seeing that playing field get bigger and have more people join it um and I I kind of think kudos to them for like building their own business and doing it their own way and and often it's like women um, solo almost building these entities all by themselves and doing it without the resources of a publishing house and um, yeah creating content that, that, that is engaging and if you want to blame anyone, you want to blame like the people that are like consuming this 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 content. Um, what the nu- the numbers and and engagement and everything kind of speaks for itself. And I, I I just I wouldn't like I I wouldn't be so quick to just write that off. Where do you see the um, influencer trend going? I mean, the, for sure there is a bit of influencer fatigue and. People are, you know, questioning the the amount of paid partnerships, obviously on Instagram, and the purity, well, the so-called purity of of, of this content sharing platform. And then people are obviously looking at new platforms like TikTok and and seeing where that's going. And um, and I think when Instagram does remove uh, likes somewhere down the line in the near f- future. I think every I've 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 kind of um, been in this, doing this for so long. Like you, you've seen like rises of different platforms. You know, I, I started when before Twitter and Instagram, and seen all of that. And every generation, every few years, there will be like a new platform for people to like express themselves. And you can't stop that. And you can't, you can't um, say, oh well, I'm getting tired of all of this. Do you think TikTok's a new platform is going to supersede Instagram? I'm not sure if it'll proceed, but I think it just sits alongside it. I think Instagram's dominance is kind of too powerful, really, just um, by virtue of it being Facebook, um, for better or for worse. And how they change that in the future, what you know, remains to be seen. How how that affects fashion or how we view content. I mean, from my perspective, I I would like to maybe have a um, a bigger emphasis on more long-form content. And to that end, I'm actually in the process of relaunching my own site so that um, that it gives me that platform to write in a more, less kind of, I guess, a less throwaway way. Um, Does long-form take the form of writing for you? Writing, and, yeah, yeah, it has always done. And I used to write, like, I don't know, two or 2,000 words, a d- you know, a, d- uh, a day, and it would be, it would feel like nothing. What's the third thing we're going to put into your cabinet? The third thing um, is kind of, phys- it, it, this is a physical thing, it's quite a boring thing, but I basically... Over the years, I'm a bit of a magpie for like just fabric scraps. 
So camphor, quilts, weird bits of <laughs> weird bits of Chinese embroidery that I picked up on my travels and yeah, I don't know what I do with any of the stuff. Lace, like I'm always going to flea markets and buying bits of lace. I don't, there's no purpose to any of this stuff. Like I'm not using it for research. I'm not doing anything with it. I'm not a designer that's like doing anything with it. I just have this compulsive like um, collectors, yeah, collectors compulsion towards tactile fabrics. I am really, really into tactile things and the other day I read this story about um, the idea of virtual fashion so that you buy a dress that would be projected onto you so it's sort of a there's a sustainable way of buying fashion because it doesn't exist it just exists as basically like a hologram and that to me as interested as I am in sustainable practice is kind of um, quite horrifying because <laughs> I'm so about the tactile touch of fabric and cut and details and skills and craft and things that make um, something like worthy really because you I, 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 which which designers are particularly exciting to you at the moment I know that you like to champion up-and-coming designers and you have really strong, good relationships with lots of them. Um, big shout out to uh, Chipova Luena, who I have been wearing constantly uh, throughout the year. Um, I just think they've done something really, and again, that is that really tactile thing because they source all their fabrics from, I want to say Bulgaria, or where they're from. In different places and there's a lot of tapestry there's a, just a lot of like a mix of things and it's like a collage almost in skirts and dresses and then they're hooked onto these like sturdy leather belts um and yeah that really does speak to like my um fabric magpie self that's gonna lead me on to another question i had for you then because it sounds like you get a lot of joy of um, touching things. Yeah, being able to feel the clothes. Mm. Is that part of the reason why you like to travel to the shows and because you actually get to see the clothes up close? I mean, I'm gonna say that seeing a show in person is, and also maybe seeing it in a showroom or in a resee is always, always gonna give you a much more in-depth perspective than seeing things online and I once I did skip one season actually when I was uh, when I when I had just had uh, Nico and I did watch all the shows from armchair and I know everyone some people do say oh I didn't miss it when 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 I when when I did that and um, and I for me it wasn't the same and I just got a completely different perspective and there were certain things that I didn't quite understand when I saw it in picture, but then in pictures. But then when I saw it in person, I, I suddenly got it, and I think I I am one of those people that likes to have like full context and and a sort of backdrop to everything. Um, so you're not uh, one of those people that says the shows are pointless and don't. No, not at all. I. 
I think there needs to be maybe less shows. I don't think everyone needs to do a show. I don't think the way people do shows can maybe somehow be scaled down so that you're not. Um, well, you don't you don't have to spend so much money on it. And I particularly think for young designers, it's imperative that they think about their presentation formats so that it it a is economical for them, and b you can have a more um, profound effect I don't think you need to necessarily do like a big catwalk show and um, you know play with the big guns trying uh, to, to try and compete um, but obviously you know when a when a big house does a incredible show and does it in a big way that obviously is impactful in person it's almost like they have to create the moment for what you were talking about, that global presence. Yep, they have to, it's, the, a show is like a, it is a big marketing exercise. Um, you know, it's not really so much about just showing clothes to the industry. It is an entertainment moment for, the, for, for, for a lot of them. And so, um, but when it's done well, and when it creates lots of talking points, um, it is a cultural moment, you know, there can be a cultural moment. Like, for instance, I thought Gucci show last season, when it was, you know, all those models going down the travelator and and then afterwards, you know, prompting all, all this stuff about, oh, was it making light of mental health? Um, but then the clothes look so incredible as well, kind of going down that. Uh, runway, so the you know staging, music, all of that. I I am, um, I I think just um, you you kind of do need to experience it in person. Although live streams are 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 pretty good. They, yeah, you get a, a good vibe, but not the palpitations. I think. Mm. What's the final thing for your cabinet? What is the final thing? Um, Oh, so I know you said a lot of people put in their phones, which I thought was quite a boring answer. But having thought about it, I do, uh, I am really militant about making sure all of my voice memos transfer from every phone that I have had, you know, through the years. So uh, I think I have voice memos going back to maybe 2008 because I've d done all my interviews obviously through voice memos I've never had a dictaphone um, and I've had some really funny conversations with so many designers especially um, when I was when I was still at Days and I was going backstage after every show and I recorded everything and and then obviously the long form interviews I've done some really good ones um, like conversation with an hour-long conversation with Tom Ford, for instance, when I was uh, just landed from uh, into Shanghai and he was in LA time. It was 1 a.m., 2 a.m. my time and I don't know, in the morning for him. And I was, I had to have a drink in order to do this interview because I just needed to pet myself up. And, and yeah, all of that. I, even though I have the written tran transcribing uh, the voice memos, even though I hate listening back to my voice actually <laughs> is uh, something that I would want to keep okay. forever and what's happening for you so we're nearly at the end of 2019 
We're about to start a new decade. What's next yeah, for you? Scary. Um, what's next for me? I well, as I said, I'm in the process of uh, relaunching the site in a different format from how it was before. Less frequent, more about just very long form stories, and. To kind of coincide that, um, I am also in the process of uh, writing a book. I tentatively did have a, a book deal beforehand, but um, kind of due to personal circumstances, I had to let it go. And now I've kind of restarted it again. Like a style book? Not, not talking about a novel. so much a style book. It is about clothes and it's sort of slightly esoteric it's talking about the emotional value of clothes and um it's sort of like my um mission statement to make people really care about the things that they wear but not in a oh you need to wash it properly and make sure it doesn't have any holes in it but more about the intrinsic emotional value like what do you get when you're wearing like a for me i don't know like a uh, a 90s piece of con de garçon what does it what happens when fabric touches the body or when you move in a certain way and what happens when people look at you or the way people see you when you're wearing certain things and um, I think all of that maybe hasn't been well maybe it's been expressed in um, different ways but I, I kind of want to concisely put it into one book um, and yeah, that sort of ties in with, um, I guess the way the sustainability conversation is going. Um, well, how do we make people care about what we wear in the same way that we care about what we eat? Um, and how do we make people think about quality, but not in the designer sense, but more about just attachment. To clothes, um, how do we foster that? So that is what I'm working on for 2020, which will hopefully keep me in London more than um, this year. Truly atrocious carbon footprint. Sorry. All right. Well, I look forward to reading the book and looking at your new website. Thank Thanks you. so much, Susie, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.